0: all right good morning let's pray father we give you thanks for this morning Uh, we pray your blessings on the rest of the congregation that are away some are traveling others at camp be with them this morning and uh, be with us as we gather to learn to grow to think and to be equipped to go minister and serve in this world for your glory we pray in jesus name amen So uh, today's lesson is on inflation, and uh, that's because Tuesday, this Tuesday, is election day, and we're being told that inflation is the number one political issue in this election cycle. Uh, And in light of this, I want to give some biblical background or a biblical lesson on inflation. Uh, God... Expects holiness from us in every area of life, and that includes economics. Again, we often think of the gospel in, in rather strict terms about our salvation, but actually, the gospel has implications for all of life because the gospel is about the lordship of Jesus Christ, and he is lord over everything, including economics. So children, I'll begin with you. What is this? There's not very many children here today. What is that? <laughs> well, wow. you've taught Bryce well. Well, now I want to tell you though that that dollar is not going to be worth as much next week as it is today. So you might want to spend that tomorrow because by the next Monday it's not going to be worth as much. So that's part of the lesson I want to give to all of us, and one of the problems we're in is we have a moral problem, and it's the moral problem of theft. In the Bible, silver and gold were exchanged as money. Thus, in the Bible, it is described as weights. Uh, Money could be weighed out. For example, David purchased oxen, some farm equipment, and some grain from Onan in 1 Chronicles 1.25, and it says, so David gave Onan 600 shekels of gold by weight. So you could weigh the money and know exactly how much you had. And so there's also a really important law found in Leviticus 19, verses 35 through 37. It says, you shall do no just injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales... Honest weights, an honest ephah, or bushel, and an honest hen, a peck. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe my statutes with all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. And so, this law, which represents the character of Jehovah, of Yahweh, He says, I don't allow any injustice, including in the way you measure things and weigh things. You're to be honest. And so this law condemns unjust weights and measures. We're to be just because God himself is just, and we're to be like him. Therefore, he forbids those things which pretend to be one thing and in fact are another. So let's say you're selling a cow for 300 shekels of silver, which is about 100 ounces of silver. That's about $2,000 in, based on today's silver market. I have no idea if that's what cows sell for, Larry. Is that about right? So the purchaser gives you what he calls one shekel of silver, but it turns out it was only made of nine-tenths of a shekel by weight. He's cheated you, hadn't he? You get, uh, He only gave you 90%, but you thought you were getting 100%. This is called fraud. And this is how government inflates currency. R.J. Rushdini wrote, Debt and inflation are closely related and interwoven. Inflation means a cheapening of money. This has been done in a variety of ways throughout history, clipping coins, uh, that is diminishing their size in order to have more gold uh, for more spending. Uh, That's an ancient method. Another is debasing the coinage using base metals exclusively or lowering the gold or silver content. Some coinage was simply, quote, washed, or we'd say gold-plated or silver-plated to uh, bring about a deceptive appearance. So, for example, uh, Henry VIII's coinage was made this way, and so the first point to wear on his coins being the nose on his image. Uh, He became known as Old Copper Nose. Uh, Another uh, means of cheapening money is the printing of unbacked paper currency in increasing quantities, which is a feature of many modern inflations. So, um, you know on a coin, that rough little rough edge, the, the ridges on the coin, that's not for decoration. Uh, that's because in the early days of gold coins and silver coins, people would take a file and start filing the edges off the coin. And pretty soon, as long as you could le- still read $20 gold piece or $1 or whatever was printed on the coin, the coin got smaller and smaller and you collected the filings and melted them down. Eventually you had another ounce of gold or another ounce of silver. So those that milled edge was put on there so that you would know whether it had been filed or not. So government didn't like it when people did this. And so... Uh, um, Another way this was done was uh, I remember I had a history teacher told me some of the Chinese got around the milled edge uh, issue by having their elderly who were not perhaps able to work on the farm, sit on the porch with a bag with some gold coins with a milled edge and sand and just shake the coins uh, as they sat there and chip off little flecks of gold and eventually you could heat to that and melt the gold and extract gold that way. So there are all kind of creative ways to diminish. So instead of this being an ounce of gold or an ounce of silver, it became a little bit less, but it was still passed off as the whole thing. Now, see that's so obvious, right? So uh, let's talk about the relative value of, of, of gold in a dollar. In 1920, One troy ounce of gold was worth $20, and thus a $20 gold piece weighed one ounce. In 1920, you could buy a quality custom made suit in New York City for a $20 gold piece. As of this past week, one troy ounce of gold was worth, uh, as of Friday, $1,683 you know what you can still buy that quality custom-made suit i looked this up this week for a twenty dollar gold piece sixteen hundred and fifty dollars but it'll cost you sixteen hundred and fifty or sixteen hundred and eighty three paper dollars instead of one twenty dollar gold piece so what's changed since 1920 have suits changed in their value has gold changed in its value What's changed? Paper money. So in 1920, 20 paper dollars or a $20 bill would buy you the suit. Today, suit, a $20 gold piece, or $1,683 bills. That illustrates the problem with paper money. God says you must have honest money. Here's, here's the point of this whole lesson day. Inflation is theft. Inflation is immoral. And God says it's an abomination. This is not just an economic problem. This is a moral problem, and it's a reflection of the character of our nation. And it's, 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 a, it's a manifestation of a deeper moral problem. A society which doesn't have honest money is not an honest society. It's defrauding it's a defrauding and cheating society, a greedy society, an unjust society, and therefore it is an immoral society. The state's job, according to God, according to Romans 13, is that it is to be a minister of justice. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Uh, Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister to avenge and execute wrath on him who practices evil. In other words, the goal, a good government is there to enforce moral standards, justice, that which is true, that which is right. Part of that justice the state is required to administer involves weights and measures. They are charged uh, to protect us against fraud, that is, stealing through pretense. For example, a merchant can't sell four pounds of apples and label them as five pounds. Anybody ever done that, you think? Put a little less in the bag, a little bit less in the box? That would be a form of what? Theft. Theft. So these kinds of laws also apply to what we call legal tender. Therefore, counterfeiting is illegal. You don't get to just print your own money. This would be immoral. Why? Because it is a form of theft. You could have multiple free market producers, say, of gold and silver coins. Let's say there were 10 companies that minted uh, gold coins, one ounce gold coins and one ounce silver coins are different weights of coins. Um, uh, but the state would be obligated to prosecute fraud. Somebody started putting something other than gold or silver in there or making them weigh less. And in fact, the competitors themselves would also be on the lookout for something like that, right? They'd want to make sure the guy over there that's selling them is doing, the, doing it right because it would obviously bite into their business. But when the state has the monopoly over legal tender in the printing of paper money, and when they commit fraud, what is it? It's still theft. This is immoral, and God says in Proverbs twenty ten. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. In other words, God finds this kind of fraud to be disgusting. So let's talk about what money is for a moment. Money is a means of exchange which helps us overcome some of the difficulties of the barter system. So Larry's got a cow and uh dirk's got a bunch of corn he's grown bushels of corn and um and dirk uh uh and and dirk wants to uh they both want to buy a car from jeremy and so dirk goes to jeremy and says how many bushels of corn for a car and Larry wants to know how many cows for a car. And Jeremy says, you know what? i got all the corn I need, and I've got all the cows I need, and no thank you. I'll keep my car. So you see the problem. But if we had a, a mutual means of exchange, which is what where money comes in, and, and Larry can sell his cow and get money, and Dirk can sell his corn and get his money, then they go to Jeremy and he can sell his car and get his money, and we can use this as a means of exchange because the barter system is really cumbersome. And we end up with, I have too much of something that I don't need or want, and I can't use it. And so money becomes this means of exchange. An agreed-upon medium of exchange becomes an acceptable means of payment. So a good medium of exchange needs to be somewhat rare, durable, divisible, and transportable. So, tree leaves won't work. Uh, though paper money comes close, right? There is a limited amount of gold and silver. Therefore, it's rare. Gold and silver are non-ferrous, which means it's durable. It doesn't rust, uh, for example. Gold and silver can be struck into different size coins. And gold and silver, then, therefore, are relatively easy to transport and even smuggle. So... Now comes along the government, and they're always here to help us, right? So we have the introduction of paper money that offers new opportunities for governments to commit fraud. Now let's talk about why this, you know, we're going to see how this develops. It always starts out as uh, we're here to help you. We're going to make this even easier. Uh, But what we see is it becomes then easier to adulterate the value of the currency, so I'm going to read a little bit here from Rush Dooney, uh, who wrote a little book on inflation. So let me just read this section to you. As the creator of fiat money, fiat means out of nothing. When God said, let there be light, that was fiat uh, uh, out of with his word. He creates out of nothing and there's light. Fiat money... Uh, 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 As the creator of fiat money, of instant money by means of legalized counterfeiting of wealth, the state is always the wealthiest and most powerful force in society. As inflation increases, so too does the power of the state. Every civil government thus has a vested interest in inflation. For a state to halt inflation is to diminish its power. Now, bear with the arguments here. The fundamental premise of modern political science is that the state is God walking on earth. It means that the state claims sovereignty, an attribute of God alone, and therefore claims the power to create. The result of this assertion of sovereignty and the power to create is fiat laws, that is, laws with no basis in God's law and purely arbitrary assertions by the state fiat money, that is money created by the state's decree and having behind it the value of a statist coercion and fiat everything. Above all, it means fiat justice. Justice ceases to be grounded in God's being and righteousness and it's grounded instead in the arbitrary judgments and decisions of the state, its bureaucracy, and its agencies. The goal is total power, the key or the means is money and the creation of fiat money in brief, inflation. When the state enters into the marketplace by means of wage and price controls, by the way, there's more than one way to get inflation. We're going to talk about the printing of money is one way. The extension of credit is another, or price controls is another way of doing it. All of these are done intermittently uh, and all accomplish the same thing. So uh, when the state enters into the marketplace by means of wage and price controls, subsidies to either capital or labor or both, controls over agriculture, the creation of money and the manipulation of the money supply or like measures. The effect on the free market is immediate. (laughs) While briefly stimulating the market, have you heard of stimulus checks? We're going to send you a check. We're going to send you some free money to stimulate the economy so it creates artificial stimulus thus the real effect of state intervention in the marketplace and into the money supply is a depressing effect a depression the state however has one cure a panacea for all ailments and that's more intervention the result is inflation and an inflation in the in the 20th century is simply a repressed Depression. The state seeks by means of more intervention to undo the effects of its original in- intervention, and so on. Inflation, thus, has a religious root. It's a consequence of the attempt by the state to play God and resolve all human problems, not by religious and moral answers derived from the Bible, but from humanism. The state believes that by playing God, it can abolish the problems of man and society, and instead it aggravates those problems. So let's look briefly at an aspect of inflation which is basic to its nature. Inflation is larceny or theft. By cheapening the value of money, here's what it does. It robs creditors and rewards debtors. Of course, the inflating state in the process makes itself the leading debtor. And by deficit spending, by bond sales, and by heavy borrowing to make possible its growing bureaucracy and power, and as the leading thief, the inflating state is thus congenial to all thieves, and it rewards debtors by encouraging debt. I'll illustrate this in a moment. There is a benefit in income tax payments for interest payments on debt and no benefit for saving, being self-supporting and thrifty. In fact, such old-fashioned biblical morality is penalized. Thus, inflation is legalized larceny, and it is an encouragement to all of us to partake in the legalized theft. In a very real sense, the federal government is in the business of encouraging thieves. So you say, I'm thinking about buying such and such, and let's say the price is $1,000 today, and I have $500, and I'm saving up to buy it, but there's a 10% inflation rate. Well, if I wait till next year, that thing's going to cost 10% more. And if I wait two years, it's going to be actually more than... It's compounding, so it's going to be more than 20% more. So now I have an incentive to go borrow money To go into debt to purchase it today so I can save money, right? Because if I wait, it's going to cost me more. And you see it, and and not all things go up evenly. So we, if, let's say the inflation rate's, uh, you know, 8.2, I think that's around where it is right now. Uh, And by the way, uh, the rule of seven says 7% interest means everything doubles in price in 10 years. If it's a 10% rate, it doubles in price seven years because of compounding. So you now have an incentive, again, to go borrow money, to go into debt, to try to get ahead of inflation. So if, if the government has trillions of dollars in debt, they go in today, but then we can make the, pro- the value of the dollar worth 25% less in five years, and then pay it back with that money we're paying back with dollars that are worth less than they were when we took the money out. So that's how, how this theft works. We're going to inflate the currency so it's not worth as much. Yeah, we owe $1,000, so so we pay back the 1000 but it's only worth 500 So this is the cycle. Now, let's go. Isaiah had compared Israel to Sodom and Gomorrah in uh, in Isaiah one, uh, I mean Isaiah six, um, uh, he compared him to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he brings this indictment: um, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's referring to Israel here. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The rulers have departed from the law. There is true, uh, there is true social injustice. How the faithful city has become a harlot, it was full of injustice. Righteousness lodged in it, now but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, Your your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. So we're, again, talking about the immorality of inflation, and Isaiah mentions specific sins. Your silver, he says, has become dross, and your wine is mixed with water, watered down. Your, your money's watered down, your wine's watered down, and this represents the general injustice of society, the adulteration of the wine and the money, the product and the money. Your silver has been replaced with base metal of lesser values. So your coffee, which was $15 a pound last year, is now three-quarters of a pound for $15. So we'll just reduce the size of the package and sell it for the same price. Have you noticed that? Uh, maybe. I think, I think I have a typo there. I'll have to look up the chapter. Somebody can help me on that. Um, somebody can... Uh, well, it's chapter 1, sorry. I, th- I think I said that at first. I think I have a typo. Yes, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Um, so it's, it's been diluted, watered. Uh, if I, let's say you're coming over for uh, for soup, and I opened a can of soup, poured it in a pot to heat it up, and then uh, we found out the terrels were coming also. And so I got out uh, and added five cups of water to the soup. And then we found out, you know, somebody else was coming, uh, the DeCurligans, so we added a gallon more to the soup. And I, I served that. You happy with that? Is that? We, do we have more soup? We don't have any more soup, do we? We have the illusion of soup. The nutritional value of that two gallons is the same as that one cup that we started with. The value hasn't changed at all. It's the illusion. Oh, I got a big pot of soup for everybody. So our money, remember, reflects us. It's wrong to dilute your money or your wine and to pass it off as pure. That's immoral. Inflation is the built-in judgment for such immorality. So, for example, if you have savings right now, they're worth less today than they were this time last year by quite a bit. And you... you say, well, I'm just going to hang on to my money. I'm not gonna. The, you see, the problem is there's no incentive to save because if you just keep it in your, your account, if you're getting any interest at all, it's pretty low. So the incentive now is for you to go spend that money on stuff because the prices are going up. I need to buy it before it becomes so expensive. And as I watch the value of my savings plummet day after day, what does that do to people on fixed incomes? Is this caring about widows and orphans? Higher prices are not inflations. They are the result of inflation. Inflation is the inflating of the monetary supply or the credit that serves, uh, serves as money. And this, Now, this could happen if we all of a sudden, let's say we were on the gold standard and we discovered a brand-new uh, gold mine somewhere and there was a bunch of gold that came in. That could do it, but that's a different situation. Now, it's re- still real value, but the values would drop because there's a greater supply. But most often, inflation has occurred by reducing the amount of metal represented by the the unit of economic accounting and thereby giving the illusion that the amount of real money has been increased. You hand me 10 ounces of gold and you tell me to make gold coins, and instead of putting one ounce of gold in each coin that's labeled one ounce, I put only half an ounce and I add a half ounce of some other base metal like copper. This would give the illusion that our quantity of money was has now doubled, twice as many coins. Clipping, as we already talked about, and alloying the other way. Then, with the advent of paper, this enabled the warehouse receipts for stored precious metals. So here's here's how we get into paper now. These warehouses were called banks. You could go. It's hard to carry around all your gold and silver, so you go say, "Would you store this?" and put up an armed guard, uh, a safe. And would you give me a certificate, a piece of paper, saying that I've put this much gold or silver on deposit with you? And because this paper is now much easier to carry around. And so uh, as as that caught on, they would store my real money, gold and silver, give me a certificate, and then I would now use that in place of the gold and silver Uh, Again, much easier to carry. I could break it down into smaller units, and if the merchant ever wanted their gold and silver, they could just take that certificate down to the bank and say, I'd like to get my gold and silver. That's how that worked. Eventually, trust in the banking system meant that people did not go and exchange their paper money or certificates for the actual precious metals. Um, Bankers figured out pretty quickly that if people are not going to go uh, check the actual amount of gold and silver in the bank. They could just print more certificates You didn't actually need to have an ounce of gold for every one ounce certificate This would become known as fractional reserve banking. We just need a fraction of the gold and Then there became laws to regulate that so you had to have a certain percentage of gold or silver on reserve in other words, uh, again, you, again, only a fraction. In 1922, the U.S. Federal Reserve adopted a policy of manipulating the quantity of paper currency, allegedly to help stabilize prices. Always here to help you, remember? In the name of stable price policy, the U.S. government has been defrauding our society for years. That loaf of bread that your grandparents could buy for a nickel now costs 3 to $4 dollars. Though government taxes and subsidies artificially suppress the price you pay, that piece I handed out to you, called Tom Smith's Bread Machine, read that later. Uh, it explains. So, so we, we can go. Bread can go up one of two ways. Okay, we could have the price go up uh, with inflation, or we could have government subsidies to farmers, to wheat farmers, to bread producers, to keep the price artificially low, which is what Nixon did in the 70s with price controls. But they make up the difference with your taxes we're going to collect taxes from you to pay to the farmers to keep the price of bread low but you think you're getting bread cheap so uh, the printing press can run as long and fast as you want and so the head of the federal reserve is in control of the money supply he or she gets to decide how much to counterfeit Sam has made for us, sometime back he made a video with his Lego animation. He's going to show that to us now because this explains it way better than I can. Earned in for other money. That's called paper. It required all persons to deliver all gold coins, gold bullion, and gold certificates owned by them to the Federal Reserve by May 1st for a set price of $20.67 per ounce. By May the 10th, the government had taken in 300 million of gold coin and 470 million of gold certificates. Two months later, a joint resolution of Congress abrogated the gold clause in many public and private obligations that required the debtor to repay the creditor in gold dollars of the same weight and fineness as those borrowed. In 1934 the government price of gold was increased. Remember, government is now setting the price of gold. You'll see on your chart how stable it is for years. It was increased to $35 per ounce. So a $20 gold piece, they said, is now worth $35, effectively increasing the gold on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet by 69%. Because the law still said the Federal Reserve had to have gold to back up the dollars because we're still technically on the gold standard. This increase in asset allowed the Federal Reserve to further inflate the the money supply, that is, to print more money, because now the dollars were still backed by gold. We just declared that the gold is worth more. When the government held the $35 price, they held the $35 price per ounce until August 15, 1971. I mean, setting the artificial price, right? So for 37 years... When President Richard Nixon announced that the United States would no longer convert dollars to gold at a fixed value, thus completely abandoning the gold standard, the law defines a dollar as one-thirty-fifth of an ounce of fine gold, but you can no longer redeem your dollars for gold. By the way, one-thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold would be about $48 in today's gold market. In other words... This is dishonest, and therefore it is immoral. Proverbs 21, one again, diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike, an abomination to the Lord. The backing of your money is no longer precious metals, but rather it is the word and the goodwill of your political leaders. Now, when people no longer trust the word and character of our political leaders or the endurance of the social system that rests on them, then paper money will become increasingly worthless and ultimately collapse. So I ask you, do you trust your government institutions and political leaders? Be sure your sins will find you out. You will reap what you sow. Remember, judgment is built in to the way God made the world. When the printing press is run, who gets that money first? The value of your savings and assets rest on the integrity of our political leaders, and inflation is the greatest oppressor of the elderly, of widows, orphans, and the poor, far greater than any landlord or capitalist. So the government is actually working against those who are on fixed incomes. I'm going to close by reading a section from Herbert Schlossberg from the book that, uh, scriptures of course are the most influential book, but maybe the the next book that was the most influential on in my life, and I'd urge you to get it and read it, is Herbert Schlossberg's book, Idols for Destruction. He says, When we understand that there is no economic difference between flooding the nation with money from counterfeiters' presses and doing the same thing with money from official presses, then we begin to comprehend the nature of modern inflations. Remember, voters are saying the number one issue now in, our, in this upcoming election is inflation. The modern version of alchemy. I don't know if you know what alchemy is, but alchemy was actually the attempt to turn base metals into gold or silver. So if we could turn lead into gold, just think of how wealthy we'd be. Of course, the problem is if you turn lead into gold, then gold would be worth what lead is, right? So it was a, uh, that didn't work. Uh, so, but modern, ver- it's the modern version of alchemy in what Ludwig von Mises used to call the philosophy of stones into bread referring to the temptation of Jesus. This is what the alchemist trick... That is, the alchemist trick of creating something of value without work. Whether the wizard mutters incantations, mixes formulas, or runs printing presses, he attempts to produce bread without uh, bothering to plow, sow, reap, grind, or bake. He, t- he tries uh, to create value ex nihilo. That's the way God created when he said, let there be light out of nothing. And imitate the creative power of God. What he really accomplishes is the taking of someone else's bread. In the ancient world, before the invention of coinage, there were two ways in which purchasing power could be manufactured fraudul- fraudul- fraudulently, and the Old Testament prophets sharply denounced both of them. Gold and silver were the media of exchange, and people used them by weight on scales and uh, the amount that uh, that buyer and seller had agreed upon. Isaiah, the passage in Isaiah 1 we referred to, denounced the Judeans for mixing impurities in their silver and for watering down their wine, uh, defrauding the people with whom they dealt. The other monetary fraud was the use of either false weights or rigged scales to apportion the price. Uh, There was to be no acquittal, said the prophet, for the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights. Micah 6, 10-11, uh, Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked in the short measure that is an abomination? Shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? Governments embark on inflationary policies because they have discovered what the Roman emper- emperors who debased the coinage knew. Such policies are profitable to Governments. Famous economist uh, Maynard Keynes asked us to imagine a government that increases the stock of money from 9 million to 12 million currency notes without other conditions being changed. In taking this step, it has transferred from the public to itself an amount of resources equal to 3 million currency notes, just as successfully as if they had raised that sum in taxation. Who paid the inflation tax? Those who hold the original 9 million notes, because each of those notes will purchase 25% less uh, than before the inflation. The inflation of currency means its depreciation in value. The burden of the tax is well spread, cannot be evaded, costs nothing to collect, and falls in in a rough sort of way in proportion to the wealth of the victim. Governments that tax incomes using progressive scales, most modern governments, that is, rely on inflation to elevate taxpayers into higher income tax brackets and so increase revenues even when their real income does not rise. The progressive income tax is only one reason governments profit from inflation. The other is the fact that all debtors benefit from currency depreciation and in the modern societies, government is the chief debtor. Borrowing valuable dollars and returning them after they've lost much of their value benefits the debtor at the expense of the creditor. And so inflation ruins creditors. The average U.S. family of four, this is just a statistic I found, and I'll close with this, earned $18,467 in 1979. Average family of four. 66 percent more than in 1972. During that period, however, prices increased 75 percent, federal income taxes 82 percent, and Social Security taxes 142 the fam- percent. The family's purchasing power therefore declined by 8 percent. Thus, saving and investing are proved to be foolish in an inflationary environment. Gambling and speculating seem more sensible and spending before prices rise, preferably on credit, as a way to beat inflation. So inflation is not something that just happens. It is a deliberate, intentional policy. In case you didn't know, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 is a lie. Despite its name, the Inflation Reduction Act would do nothing to tame inflation and instead makes inflation worse. More spending and debt have given us inflation. Even more spending and debt will only give us more. Have you ever noticed how spending bills are always reported as immediately increasing our debt, but with a promise that they're going to reduce our debt in 10 years? They're banking on the collective memory of the public, which I've found to be about two weeks, and that's generous this is an abomination to the lord father we thank you for your word it tells the truth it tells us what happens when we stray from that truth that you bring judgment upon people and nations who disregard your justice father we pray for our nation we pray for your mercy we pray that you grant us wisdom open our eyes and our hearts and show us a way forward that we might live in a land that is truly just and including economically just. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.